Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guests today are the band Clarence Tilton, comprising Chris Webber, Corey Webber, Craig Meyer, Paul Novak, and Joran Wayne Storm. Not only will we be in conversation, but they will also perform an acoustic set live in the studio. Clarence Tilton formed in 2014, consolidated from the debris of an elemental collision of whiskey and old-fashioned gear. Based in Omaha, Nebraska, Clarence Tilton continues to craft songs and sentiment that push boundaries while paying suitable homage to the greats. Country, rock, blues, folk, the label that usually settles out is Americana. The group toggles between pedal steel dripping ballads feverishly picked Telecaster-driven ditties, and surprisingly loud riff-anchored stomps. A Night with Clarence Tilton includes plenty of guitars, four uniquely contributing vocalists, and a rhythm section that is equal parts dance and churn. Their second release is a six-song EP recorded much like their first in Wisner, Nebraska. Five of these songs are also available on a split 12-inch vinyl with good friends the Monday Mourners from Des Moines, Iowa. Work continues on a full-length record, tentatively scheduled for an early 2019 release. Gentlemen, thank you for being in the studio today. Happy to be here. So let's start with the story of the band name, Clarence Tilton. What's the story behind that? And also the logo, which features an old-school lighter. Um, well, the I, I got to preface this by saying the hardest thing in the world to do is naming a child. The second one would be naming a band. <laughs> so we went round and round. And it was ugly for a while. And at that point, we uh, just started throwing out names. And the one that stuck was the name of our grandfather, who went by Tilly. So we took his actual first name, Clarence, and made it Clarence Tilton. And we are hugely devoted fans of, of Clarence White. And so we like the, uh, the, the name Clarence to begin with. So it just felt right. And the band all was like, yep that's the one that's the one we want and so i have to answer to clarence every once in a while but it's a it's a family name so he's he's still with us he is not oh okay oh and so the lighter is his ctw is clarence dilton on the flip side of that lighter it says uh casablanca Casablanca, 1942 so that 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 was his world war ii lighter that he brought back and it's been encased in our father's like frame up on the wall ever since we were kids and and it's just it's this cool silver metal thing and as kids we just wanted to have it forever and it was like that's i don't know that once we figured out the name it was like that's the logo right there so that's uh that's how it ended up for me that feels so suggestive of the power of personal narratives and stories and in some ways this is 
a weak segue, but I want to ask about lyric writing and the stories that you tell through song. And one way that I want to do that is to play you a short extract from an interview on this show from last summer with Andy Norman, who at that time was the executive director of Here in Nebraska, which is now rolled into Rabble Mail. But but I'll just play you this extract and then and then we'll talk about story and lyrics. Yeah, so Clarence Tilton's a, uh, a country band from Omaha made up of just exceptional players that have been playing in different bands for years. Um, and this song, uh, I think, tells a really great historical story um, about a really dark time in our city. And um, I think it speaks for itself. So Andy then was actually talking about one specific track of yours, Last Lynching in Omaha. But tell me more about stories and, and how you go about the craft of writing lyrics and creating narratives that you then turn into songs? Uh, well, f- for, for us in this band, like, um, that was kind of part of how we ended up playing music like this. Like it kind of started with the stories and then we kind of realized that the stories fit over a very country type feel. And, and, uh, <laughs> After we named it after our grandfathers, we kind of realized that like we were interested in playing music that our that our grandparents could relate to, which some we hadn't something we hadn't done before, and it just felt really good. So at that point, it was like I was also finding that it's much easier to write a song and tell a story when it's you know you got some time, you got some time to let the process work in there, as opposed to other things. So. uh it just felt right telling. So that led into this narratives of songs. I mean, usually my song, for me, my songs are like non sequiturs of journal writings. I just take bits and pieces that I like and it just goes dumped into a song and there it is. It doesn't mean anything but to me. Right. And it's hard to relate to. So for, for this, for this band that we're working on, it just seems a lot easier to write about stories and people and, and things that are taking place and and like that last lynching like that's that's a story you felt i felt needed to be told but it's so hard right i mean that topic in general is like you know you've got to be delicate and so we've you know that's a song that we've been asked not to play and and we're like <laughs> okay but so have you listened to the song have you you know have you heard it do you do you understand where we're coming from and so anyway just that if it if it tugs at the heartstrings, you're in the right direction, and, and that's kind of that's where we're aimed aimed at for for this band at least. So with these with these stories stories that need to be told, what's the process of turning um, these ideas into lyrics that then then fold into music? Is there a collaborative process that that goes from the written word into the melody and the rhythm? How does that process work from idea to finished track? Well, the, the word just started as words. The, the, the music is developed separately. And, and like for the last lynching tune, that's, that's Corey coming up with that. Uh, I think Keith Richards calls it the lightning bolt. Somebody's got to grab up and grab something and bring down the lightning bolt. And from there, you just build on it. And so that intro part is Corey's meticulous, awesome playing that just kind of sets the stage and it, then it follows from there. No, I just spend a, I waste a lot of time with a guitar in my hand. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of times Chris comes with lyrics and the chords, and it's kind of there. The skeleton is there, and we 
play along 40 or 50 times until it kind of solidifies into what we all like. Uh, sometimes I've got a part, and Chris will take it and come up with words that just kind of feel right with it. Sometimes you're like, hey, man, can you talk about this in a song? I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll work on that. Or he's got a little, what if you work this little phrase into something, and then you just build it around there. First one home kind of came that way with Corey having a part and basically a song sort of yeah. constructed. Yeah. And I, can't I said, let, and I said, let me take that. Can I, can I work with that one? Yeah. And that's how that one happened too. I've got no lyrics to contribute. So if I can throw out a couple ideas and the songwriters take them and turn them into songs, it's good. I've seen you guys perform and I've heard some of the music and, and just seeing you interact in, in person. There's this sense of camaraderie, creativity, uh, a degree of collaboration, it seems. You, you, Paul, just mentioned, you know, can I take that song? I want to work with that song. And you, Chris and Corey, were talking about working words and, and, um, and music together. Um, and that's all well and good, but let's get to the real stuff. So creative people, I mean, there's got to be a lot of tension, ego. Who gets to make the final decision? How do you actually get to a place where um, you're all happy? Because typically, I find that creative people, it's hard to smooth those edges. That's what makes you creative, right? You don't want smooth edges. So how does that work in a band like this? It's a good point. It, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Corey and I have been, we're brothers, so we've been doing this for a long time. And we've kind of come to the realization of you let some things roll and some things when, when uh I don't know. I think of that a lot that you, you don't want around the edges. You don't want a group think if someone has an, an idea that's honest and true, you don't want to bend it. You don't want to change it. You want it to stay there. And, and that's, I mean, I don't think we run into those troubles that often. I mean, I think, I think everybody's really patient about trying to see something through. Yeah. I've never had an idea of mine or, or had heard anyone else's idea get shot down. We're always willing to give something a go. And if, if, three of them come to the table at the same time, we'll try all three of them before we decide which one was the best one to go with. And that, so it's always been pretty diplomatic, I think. That diplomacy is why practice is so much fun. Like we love to practice. It's, we love to get together and just work on stuff. And so song craft is all the fun. I mean, that other than the, the whiskey, but the, the... I think we've had enough songs that have taken... A lot longer than instead oh, of just like being done and yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So I think we've seen enough, you know, fruit from working on stuff long enough that I think that kind of gives you a, a little more patience to keep going through stuff. I sort of want to talk too about how perhaps pursuing the business of being a band has a role in in what you do and how you do it. But but each of you has. A job. The, the band itself isn't the profession that you're uh, seeking to pursue for the rest of your lives necessarily. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong to make that statement. You all no, have take jobs, right? I take it. Yeah. 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 Um, so maybe, maybe there's a degree of maturity that comes with this. Too, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But you also talk about fun. It's always fun. <laughs> the word, so the word, so it's, it's always fun. And, uh, you talked about wanting to create songs that sort of had a generational appeal in some way. And this is just a long build-up to um, a review I read. So I want to talk about touring and a review I read of your uh, performance in Broken Bow, which was part of last year's Here Nebraska tour. One of the elements that appealed about that was that the audience was so diverse in terms of age and, and the fact that it, it's a more rural community. 
but you were playing with a whole bunch of bands as well that were very different. What is it about touring that you enjoy and what would you do differently if you could do more of it and didn't have to do the day job? Well, uh, first, first of all, the, the touring with uh, here in Nebraska is, that's a delight. Like that touring doesn't get that good. You know, the, playing with all those diverse bands and having that much fun and being treated that well and then have a crowd readily there to just soak it all up. Like those, those are great shows. We love doing those here in Nebraska shows, uh, and have been lucky enough to get on a couple of those. So. And neither of them have been a dud. The one the year before coming back from Colorado and we got that yeah. Eagles Club show afterwards. <laughs> we were like yeah. the after party for here in Nebraska and all the tech guys came over and, uh, it, I mean, we packed a, we packed this old VFW building and I don't even know what town that was. Imperial. Imperial, Imperial. Nebraska yeah. packed a VFW and yeah. it was, they weren't ready to quit. And they were just super fun about the stuff we were playing, and they loved it too. So yeah, if every tour could be like that, absolutely, we're in. Um, but otherwise, it's you know we we like getting in the van and driving, but and we we've all a struggle to get everybody <laughs> with the same day that everybody can do something. You know, when you consider wives and jobs and families and right and, and uh, all that, we. We struggle to find a day a week where we can all get in the same room and just work on stuff. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. When I was a boy, I would just stare at the soil. Till I found something good How the hell was I supposed to know Questions come so quickly And answers come so personal frustrations for each of you that there was a point possibly when you decided that this wasn't going to be a professional career, that there were other aspects of your life that you wanted to attend to, uh, as you talk about family and, and, and work and other interests. But is there, for any of you, a small hint of regret that this isn't the thing that you do every day? Yes. For me, yes. Anyone else want to jump in on that? Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. You're asking us if we'd rather be rock stars than sales representatives? Uh, yes. That's about the size of it, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> if I could skip over the paying your dues part, I would do it. Yeah. I don't, uh, I'm not one of those ones to sleep in the back of a van for two weeks. That's just not for me. As far as that goes, the, the day job to come back to after the weekend warrior stuff is actually also pretty nice. We're not living hand to mouth necessarily. I think we all keep that little spot open in our minds and hearts for something that could happen, but we're not delusional either. We're, uh, we're all family men, so. I think, Jaren, I think we're worth speaking more of like a well-equipped tour bus. Situation. So what would be the perfect gig for you guys? Like if you, if you just, nothing is an object, what would be your perfect gig? Paint that picture. You mean like a one-time gig or a, what, what do you mean by? Oh, no, you can, you can give your gig. own, your own spin to that. Like when you, when you, you imagine yourself on, I don't know, a tour or a gig or a, you know, a private island performing for someone. I mean, whatever this looks like for you guys, the, the pinnacle. I'd say Austin City Limits would be. <laughs> it seems like we go the Texas kind of music scene, you know, and the, I think that'd be pretty sweet. That would be sweet. Yeah, I kind of like Broken Bow. That was a that was a good gig. I would do that again. I'd go like ten days on the road, ten days home, two weeks on the road, two weeks home, with a personal jet from Omaha to Des Moines for those shows. <laughs> Paul, what's your ultimate gig? Something like that. It'd be nice if we were at the, um, maybe not the ultimate, but more in a realist vein if we if we had enough of maybe even just a regional, you know, just to be able to go out start a summer and three weeks to a month and have enough places where there's demand for us to go out there. <laughs> And that's, that's the, the kind of touring world where, there, where there's actually <clears throat> some people out there somewhere else besides Omaha that want to see us. Yeah, that's our goal. That's what we're working well, up I, to. I should mean, like it if it, people like to see us in Omaha, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe start there. <laughs> there's a few. Well, it's pretty clear to us, and I'm going to bet that people listening will, when you do your acoustic set, will appreciate this, too, that it's not a question of talent or interest or appeal. I mean, the music is compelling. Lyrics are great. Stories are good. There's a an energy to your live performances too, so it's it's all there. Like most of these things, though, sometimes it's just a case of right place, right time, good marketing, just a bit of luck. So Maha Music Festival was, I think, a slightly larger event. So how how was that particular concert for you guys? What was the what was the take home? Get our name on our gear quickly. Stencil your band name on all your. Guitar cases. All guitar cases look the same. All amplifiers are in a black box case. Get your name Didn't on you it. Didn't you learn that from going to the airport? You're always supposed to put like a colored ribbon on your luggage. Yeah. No, the, playing on that stage was fantastic. Yeah. It was fun. It was nice. It was kind of nice to get the, you know, you, you kind of felt like you were a touring band there because you kind of got that treatment going in there. You know, yeah. People helping you unload dinner in the back <laughs> there wasn't too many familiar faces at that gig too which was nice because that was a good way to get out in front of some people that might otherwise not check us out because they plan on going to the festival that day anyway so that was they were pretty receptive we got some more facebook likes and stuff like that which is always nice people checking to see where you're playing next and you know it also seems to me that the post-event coverage in the media was extremely positive it too. was yeah that was really nice too it seemed like there there weren't a ton of people there when we fired it up, but the right people were there. <laughs> so that was good. We got some good coverage. Each of you has music talent. You've performed in other bands. You've done other things up to this point. But where did this start for each of you? How did how did each of you 
unfold into and, and flourish into into music. Um, you know, my I know my music teacher put on my school report to my parents, Stuart Trice, and that that was it. <laughs> Not <laughs> so that, that 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 was as far as I got with it. But you guys clearly along the way in your childhood somewhere, music became a part of who you were. And I'm curious about. When did you realize that this was a part of your identity and needed to be nurtured? And, and how did you do that? So I'll throw that open to all of you. Puberty dictated that I should just be in my room most of the time practicing <laughs> guitar. I was no good anywhere else. So, Yeah, age, age 12 and 13, I discovered Led Zeppelin. And that was, that was, uh, we had friends that were willing to loan us a guitar and learn a few chords and then show us those chords and, and, uh, I just, I would, I had to sit either in my room or I would take a little amp out on my front porch and just play a whole lot of love riff over and over and over. Just thinking somebody might drive by that would hear that riff over and over. I just, I couldn't get enough of that. Paul, go. My house, we had, we said, we had a piano, guitars, a guitar laying around all the time. And I think at some point, I think my brother picked it up first and then he was kind of like, all right, I'm going to play that thing too so got into a lot of neil young and uh that was inspiring to i just i think it was more the same thing kind of just heard a lot of music that i was really inspired by you know enough to start trying to play it myself same thing uh my uncle was a dj so i'd check out cds from him like a library i could get i think three at a time um so he turned me on to ACDC and the difference between Bon Scott and Brian Johnson ACDC and, and then uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Chris Layton and why he was such a great drummer and all this other stuff and then at the same time I was also checking out like Deftones and Incubus and 311 and everything so just him having all that music that I could get and this was right around the time people started like ripping CDs and stuff so my collection grew like 10 times the size it started out as over a summer. And that had a lot to do with it, just having stuff to actually listen to. It sounds like all of you were surrounded by a musical context in some way. Your your family is appreciated music. There were musical instruments. And there were people around you willing to, I don't know, maybe just create the stage, as it were, for music to be a feature of your lives. I, w- I would almost suggest it's the opposite. Um, just based on my personal experience, my house is currently full of musical instrument as is Corey's and uh, my kids don't care whereas uh, when we were growing up I mean we had a piano and we were forced to play uh, like trumpet and trombone and stuff but it was the guitars that we had to beg for and 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 like really lobby to get that stuff into our house and and it was like that the, the need and desire to, to rock was was what spawned the the energy into for us to keep going. Would you concur? Like Keith Richards story, right? And he had the in his book, his grandpa hung it up, hung up the guitar oh, yeah. up and right. let him touch it until he <laughs> felt he was worthy <laughs> to actually really give it a go. Yep. It was just tempting him all the time. It was just like that. Yeah. <laughs> so what next? We we have just time to kind of think about maybe the future. Obviously, your bio mentioned you have a full-length record, tantalizingly close, but just a few months out of reach. Um, so maybe speak to that, but also, you know, what next for you guys? What are you hoping for? So our next record is 
as of yet untitled, but we're in the mixing stages. We're halfway through mixing it. And we've been working on this thing for quite a while. And it's been fun to like be tired of it and now be super excited about it again. Like we've the, in the mixing process, the songs have really come alive again and we're really fired up to, to let it loose. So that hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll be wrapping up and then we'll be thinking about when we're going to release it. Um, in terms of the future, I think we're going to try and practice, <laughs> have a couple of practices, get together, enjoy playing music. Uh, up for that. Are you up for that, Paul? Yeah. Um, after that, uh, I think, I don't know. I think we have, yeah, we're going to play in Fremont. We're going to just keep stringing gigs along, but I think next summer we're trying to consider some, some larger put together a couple of dates that get us out of town and, and, uh, hit towns and markets we haven't really played in and, and, uh, just take some time because we really haven't, we've been on, on the road a couple of times, but it's not any extended time. And we're trying, we kind of want to see how that feels and give that shot. So everyone has kind of done it, but not in this band. So I speak for myself maybe, but this is the most fun I've had in a band. So going in a van with these guys is a, is a joy. You look very happy. <laughs> Do I? Is, it, is that a joke? <laughs> I meant it. <laughs> that was sweet, Chris. That was a- <laughs> what about you guys? Just just be- just before we get into uh, listening to some music, what about you guys? What next? What are you hoping for? Uh, Paul and Chris have been. Chur- There's another batch of songs we'll record shortly after we get this one out. Uh, while these songs are still fresh and uh, inspiring. So we'll probably head back to the studio again next year. Yeah. I mean, so. that, that's why we do this. You know, like the songs keep coming, so we just keep recording. And like and the, we're, we're always trying to record when the song is a, feels the best to us. And so we, don't, we try not to try. Yeah, we don't, we're not too successful at that, but we, our intent is to get it down while it's still fresh and good and not, we're not tired of it. The material keeps coming. We've we found something. Each one of us keeps coming up with new stuff. We keep busy. So we're going to listen to some music. Okay. Yeah. Right? One yep. time? Come on, Peppy. With passion. dirt and blood from your face Did you return your heart still blaze though you're still listening to Castro's radio your eyes still shine like a bird of prey the fist grip of radio rebellion your heart still bleeds though Any other way Your 
Castro's radio. called Castro's Radio. Oil light bleeds And I can't help 
This is a song called First One Home. Uh, actually, uh, Corey and I started this one on a, in a previous band, and it was uh, on a, a sort of a benefit site for Slim Dunlap. And, uh, but Chris also worked on the recording of it, and now we've done another recording that'll go on our next CD.
hungry eyes that could not wait. Friday lights burning bright, much too bright to see. Raise a glass up to the groom, spill on the bride to be. What a life to believe I could make it on my own. Last one. Song is this, Chris? Okay. This song <laughs> has yet to been be released. It's called um, well, the working title is. I believe I just said that in an English accent. The working title is Friant Dam. Don't make fun of the English people. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. It's called Friant Dam.
Lives Radio Show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org. To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, download the podcast at iTunes, search for Lives Radio Show with Stuart Chittenden. And leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. It's been a real privilege uh, chatting with you. Also, it's been a real pleasure listening to you guys perform. It it was really wonderful, and uh, I'm really grateful that you came in and did just a short acoustic set for us. With me in the studio has been Clarence Tilton. The band comprises Chris Webber, Corey Webber, Paul Novak, John Wayne Storm, and also Craig Meyer, who's not with us in the studio today. But gentlemen, thank you again for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Badmouth Craig. We did need we, to we uh, just record a little bit. I just let's like, talk about Craig. Craig he's the bass player, but he's also the heart and soul. We all get to we all get along because of Craig. He is, he is the glue. Yeah. We can we can end with Craig Meyer, the glue. Yep. Yep. Let's just say Craig is awesome. We miss him. Craig, we really wish you were here. Get well soon, buddy. That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life. Mm-hmm.